I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. The world is facing a leadership crisis. We need leaders of greater effectiveness and integrity, mastery and maturity, courage and compassion, competence and character, and consciousness and wisdom. Our collective welfare, organizationally and globally, depends on our ability to develop leaders that are up to the challenge of creating a thriving future for everyone. If you agree with what I just said, you're going to love our conversation today. I have the privilege of talking with one of the probably top five people I would ever want to talk to about leadership with, and that is Bob Anderson. Bob Anderson has been a pace setter and a thought leader in the field of leadership development for over 30 years. He's the founder of the Leadership Circle. And the Leadership Circle Profile is a 360-degree leadership assessment tool that goes beyond just looking at skills and competencies, but it looks at the deeper reactive and creative tendencies that we all have and the inner assumptions that are operating inside of us in the background of our behavior. Now, that's that's pretty deep. And we're not going to get into the leadership circle profile today. And I'm not going to talk about what 360 assessments are, et cetera. But that could be a whole other episode. But what I do want to let you know is that you are so in for a treat today because Bob and I are going to have a two-part series. We had such a deep conversation that I split these episodes up into two parts. And we're going to be talking about a whole deeper arena of leadership. We're going to be talking about in this episode, intuition, tapping into your inner voice as a leader. And then we're going to explore the whole level of levels of development and levels of consciousness. And do those things matter as a leader? And how do you develop them? How do you develop a higher consciousness? Wow. Deep. Very important conversations. This is not a, this. here are five tips conversation. This is a put on your seatbelt and really listen because there's some incredible wisdom in our conversation today. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have you today, Bob. It's a great pleasure to be here. Before we even get started, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everybody before we get into it is just, if you can just tell us, I think there's so much learning in the journey. If you can tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to be where you are today. Well, we don't have enough time for that whole <laughs> story. I actually started in high school, attended a retreat in high school that blew me away. Some of the, both the spiritual aspects of it and the 
power of what happened in the group was just blew me away. And I began to pursue that. I studied economics and business, didn't know how these were going to come together. Ended up getting a master's in organization development. And then had the good fortune early in my career being working up close with some of the real thought leaders in our field and being mentored by them. Peter Block, I worked with Peter Senge's organization. I worked with Clay Lafferty, who if you know his human synergistics assessment, you'll see the influence on the leadership circle. These were close mentors for me and really apprenticed me into this work. I began to see an integration across the leadership literature. If you look at it at one level, it's a random collection of really great stuff, research, theory, models, and so on, completely unintegrated. And I began to see, if you look deeper into it, oh, these different language systems, but here's the underlying meta model, how it all integrates. And I worked that for 15 years or so, and then came into a real understanding of it, and then built the Leadership Circle Profile. Played with that with some of my clients until it road tested well, and then stepped out to create the Leadership Circle. And that was in 2003, I would mark the kind of launching of the Leadership Circle. I was broke along the way. I know what it's like to have more debt than you have equity. And it's grown wonderfully into the world. So that's the story, really. Wow. Great story. So let me ask you this. Obviously, I love the word integration that you use because that's, I think, the essence of what you're talking about and what you do. And when you looked at leadership and you look at leadership development, how did it all come together? What would you say is that secret there in terms of the model that you came up with? Well, I question whether I came up with it or it came up with me. The real secret and part of what I really am interested in, especially now, is the essence of the creative process, how creators create things. And a lot of it came intuitionally. Mm. And I've had a long, deliberate practice with intuition. And there are times I can remember walking on a beach in Hawaii where I would walk with a dictaphone. And a lot of what was written in the book Mastering Leadership, I don't know, 35 years later, was on that dictaphone. My wife will often remind me of things I journaled on that trip we were on together. Oh, that happened. You just did that. And so I have a deep respect for the process of being informed by a larger intelligence about what you're here for and the kind of creation that's trying to come through. Just interviewed Federico Fijin, the inventor of the microprocessor, credited with inventing the first microchips and then took it to Intel and, you know, happened with Intel. He was quite precise about his own creative process, especially now because he's had his own kind of interest in consciousness and just published a book on the physics of consciousness and how consciousness emerges in the physics of the quantum field. And 
he's very precise about the role that intuition plays, the sudden breakthrough and seeing the whole thing all at once, and then taking sometimes years to unpack what you saw in that moment. And yes, there was a lot of study of the different bodies of work and sort of rational integration, but there were also a lot of moments like, oh, of course, this is the same as that. This fits, oh, this that changes everything. And so the model went through a reconfigurations as I learned more and more about it. And so it's been a really interesting now to look back and say, how do creators create something new? Yeah. Well, what you, wow, there's so much to unpack with what you just said. It comes to mind is there's a creative founder that I'm working with right now. And Bob, everybody thinks he's crazy, but really they think he's crazy because he describes what you just described is that it just comes to me. I don't know. It comes to me and people think, oh gosh, he's very, very successful. (laughs) And he says, just trust me. I trust the process. It's interesting to hear you say that because there's something around consciousness that you bring up. So talk to me a little bit about how you learn to trust that though. Evidence. Mm. Stuff happens. I get a download. I write it all down. I don't understand it. Six months later, I'm reading a book and I go, this is what I wrote down. I go back to my journal. How did I, how did I know that? Because I didn't know that. Recently, I've been getting a lot of physics and I'm not a physicist. It's the new area of inquiry for me. If we really understand the fundamentals of creation of the field that we all are, and that's emerging everything, how does that inform us about how to be more effective? And I started writing down physics, then I'm like, I have no business writing this stuff down because I don't even know if it's accurate. Well, four years later, in a lot of intense study, I go back to it and I go, it was all precisely accurate. Scary a little bit. (laughs) It was. Well, it's scary. People go there quickly. No, that's weird. Or I don't think it's weird. I don't. I definitely don't think it's weird. Uh, Yeah, but it's it for a lot. It is weird because we don't have a mental model. Of how reality actually works. Yeah. And so this is where I think quantum physics has something to say about how reality works and how consciousness works and how creative ideas emerge. And so I would say it's both evidence and. There's a kinesthetic feeling about something that lands in you. And we've all had that experience, even in simple things. Can't remember. I feel like I left something behind. What is it? Is it this? Oh, I forgot my camera. And you know that that's right because there's a whole gestalt in your body that just settles. It may be disturbing. I needed my camera. But you know that, oh, yeah, it was my camera. And intuition has that sense of rightness about it. And then you test it. You test it. How do you separate that as you're talking? What's coming to my mind is how do you separate that from your ego that's driving that versus the 
a download from some, you know, some, an intuition that's from another place other than your own self? Well, it's an interesting question. Is this coming into me or is this coming out of me? Exactly. And I actually don't know. I experience it and talk about it as a download, but I've had others suggest that now you might be better off realizing that this is coming from you once you understand more of who you are. And it's emerging. There can be a lot of ego around it. I'm this intuitive thing. I can do this. Look at what. Yeah, I know exactly. That, so you can, you can have all kinds of ego around it. It actually is pretty humbling because I don't know where this is coming from. So I think it's something altogether different than ego. Yes. It comes from deeper, more quantum levels of who we are. In the traditions, that's called spiritual. I think there's a real integration happening now with the understanding of the vast ranges of frequency within the quantum field. And Federico is basically suggesting that we are a quantum entity and that to the extent to which we're solely identified with the physical body, we're cutting ourselves off from vast information that's there. Mm -hmm. And so ego tends to be a construction of self, how I identify myself. And we're way more than that. Mm -hmm. And you can still have a lot of ego and learn how to access intuitionally. Dissolving or thinning out the ego is another thing altogether. And I think they're related. I think the less I'm attached to or identified with this thing that you call Bob Anderson, the more available we are to be used by what's trying to come through us what's trying to emerge through this incarnation, this form. How do you think we tap into that? And if you think about this whole area of consciousness and higher consciousness, how do you think we tap into that? Well, that's also really interesting because we know how. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know that everybody knows how, but I'm just saying that in the Healing traditions. I spent four years in an intensive energetic healing school in the 90s, Barbara Brennan School of Healing. I'm bringing some of that back now as we try to help leaders open up to more intuitive access, creative access. So there was a school all about how do you open up higher sense perceptions and then be able to work within that very precisely. In the spiritual traditions, there's all kinds of contemplative, meditative techniques, anything that brings greater coherence to the whole system ups your ability to tap into the field more. And, and Bob, you're a realist, and I know you, you've worked with enough leaders over the years that you see the environments in which leaders work in, the organizations that we work in. They're pretty linear on some level, right? Pretty yeah. results-oriented, goal-oriented, yeah. you do yeah. this. And then there's an achievement orientation that inspires protection, safety, reactivity, all of the things that you talk about. And how do you 
overcome that? How do you move past that when you're operating in these types of systems that reward you for being a little bit more reactive? Yeah, well, there's a lot there we Mm -hmm. can unpack. I don't try to overcome it. The work I'm just where we dove in here is, I think, leading edge. So we're targeting this, what we're calling integral leadership work. I actually call it unity-informed integral leadership. So it's informed by a larger, more inherent unified field or unity, inherent unity. Our move into that is targeted more at really high creative leaders very effective leaders that are not so much working that terrain from high reactivity to more creative leadership. That's a different body of work, I think. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you can't be opening up and exploring intuition at those stages as well. But I think you meet people, any organization and leaders, here's where they are, here's the work they're asking for and needing. And so most of the work that's happening now is organizations saying in order to thrive in the kind of complex, volatile, disruptive, what is it, Danny environment now? goes from VUCA to Banny. And I think it's even beyond that. We need to be more innovative. We need to be more agile. We need to be more engaging. All this language we put around our transformation efforts. What we're hearing from our clients over and over is in order for the organization to play like that, to build its processes and systems and leadership around, we have to move from this high reactive, high control, top down, relatively unsafe work environment to a very high creative, purpose driven form of leadership. We call it reactive to creative, and it's essential. These kind of change efforts do not work. They fall short very quickly if leadership doesn't make that transition. It's foundational to building that kind of culture and system. And so that's the shift that most organizations are trying to work themselves into. And it's critical. It's absolutely critical. And it's not lost on me the comment you just made about this whole notion of this intuition and consciousness of how that's a whole other area. So let me ask you this question. Do you think we can actually really access that in the organizations the way they exist today and use that? If you're kind of stuff we're just talking about intuition and all that. Yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at, the very end of the book, Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs, he defined as his genius, his intuitive capability, mm-hmm. his ability to somehow know what was next or, you know, and people were like, really? What? iPhone? Or, right. And we can see that. He also had what was called a reality distortion. He talked about it, a reality distortion effect where they did the impossible over and over and over and over. If you looked at, we got to do this, 
We got to get from here to here. We don't even have the technology available to do that. And we're going to do it by when? And they would consistently do it. Now, you can say what you want about Steve Jobs. We have, because one of our clients is Pixar, we have a kind of inside picture of how he grew as a leader. They unfairly dealt with in the popular press in terms of how he emerged. But nonetheless, he had this intuitive capacity and this ability to generate a kind of field around him where magic seemed to happen. And so leaders that, like the one you're talking about that's crazy. Well, I don't think it's crazy, but people No, but I know, I know. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, are working this way. They may not even fully understand, like the, I'm trying to break down the mechanisms of that, like to understand it, but they have tapped into something. I'm doing these series of taped interviews, leading neurologists worldwide acclaimed, in, especially in stroke care. He's been a pioneer in understanding strokes and stroke care. And he starts one of his books, written 370 academic publications, five books, some of which are top sellers in the popular press around stroke care. Anyway, he has one called The Theory of Reality, which is about all this. And he starts this book by saying, the brain is not responsible for consciousness, mm. nor your thinking. I love it. Yeah. This is a leading neurologist. And he describes his own, he calls them thought balls, where you just get this whole, and he has a very beautiful story that, about two very thoroughly researched bodies of work about strokes. They contradicted each other. One said, you know, if it's 10 millimeters, no problem. The other, when you looked at autopsies, seven millimeters was the average size. So this both thorough didn't, didn't make sense. And the Mayo people at the Mayo Clinic and around the world were grappling with this and couldn't figure it out. He got it. Download, boom, took him 20 years to prove it. And it proved out right. But he got the whole awareness of how, and I don't understand the science behind it, but this is medical breakthrough thinking. Now, this man has also been interested because of his interest in the brain and consciousness. He's been exploring this and saying, how do we untap? The limitations of the brain. The brain is a huge filter, right. as well as a very powerful instrument. So it's not by accident that he would have that kind of insight, I think. He's very humble about it. He hesitates to even talk about it. But that's where it can fit, right in the middle of a very tough, technical, innovative challenge that we have as an organization. What a great conversation. That's all for this episode, but make sure to tune back into the Power Presence Academy podcast next week to hear the rest of this incredible interview. Thanks for listening. And always remember this, every single moment you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause. 
and make those choices wisely and intentionally because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.